It's time now for Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that shares stories from inspiring people, from a wide range of expert guests, all focused on helping you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. Gina Gardner is a multiple number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, business coach, and trainer. She's the founder of Genuinely You and has over 30 years experience of helping people step into their genuine, authentic power, personally and professionally. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. This is a world of possibilities, a world in which people who put their minds to something can really make a difference. My goal is to help the environment. Someday, I'll find a cure for cancer. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we believe that aspiring minds can achieve anything. So we dedicate ourselves to making sure everyone has an opportunity to go to college. Each year, we provide more than $150 billion in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about Money for College at studentaid.gov. And now, here's your host, Gina Gardner. Hello there, and welcome to this week's Gina Gardner and Friends show. And today I'm joined by Darren Owen. Darren's a friend and he's part of the Collaboration Global Group that I belong to, and we've had several of those people on the show. He's working really hard on something that I think is quite unique. He's buying 100 businesses in the UK over a 10-year period using employee-owned trusts to change the way in which businesses are acquired and owned and managed. And for those of you that are in business, this is a really important opportunity for you to see how things can be done in a different way. If you're not in business, then there are lots of parallels in real life. So, Darren, thank you very much for joining me. Okay. Thank you for the invite. Oh, it's a pleasure. So can you start off by explaining how how have you come to the place where you're buying a hundred businesses? It's not your average sort of thing, is it? No, no, it's not. So when I first started getting to the idea of buying businesses, uh, I found that the the normal method of buying business using lots of borrowed money um, and then selling it after a couple of years causes a lot of heartache to the staff. It causes a lot of pain to the business. And in a lot of cases, the businesses can fail because they don't, they can't support that level of funding. So I wanted to find another way of doing things and I wanted to find another way of managing businesses. And I also got involved with thinking about the social debt of businesses and how society has waited for too long to deal with a lot of the problems and how can we actually deal with that. And without being able to trust in governments to actually support the the future, I think there's a lot of responsibility for businesses to actually start repaying that debt and starting to actually recover humanity back into the business-making part of business, but also to then spread the wealth of the businesses. So rather than all the wealth going to single people or you know, a single organization, actually being able to spread that out to the people that are actually earning the money and giving them the ability to grow themselves and build back communities. 
There's a lot of richness in that. So explain to our listeners, what do you mean by social debt? So one perfect example is global warming. Uh, We've known that global warming is an issue for the last 30 years, and we've done nothing. And now we get to the point where England's just had a a nice big heat wave we were discussing earlier. Um, We're looking at the US. Uh, the the southern states are going to have to get used to a temperature of about 52 degrees Celsius. Goodness. Uh, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, um, but very high. Well over 100, isn't it? Yeah, very, very high temperatures. And the impact of that is going to be death. There is going to be more deaths due to the high temperatures. And this is something that we could have dealt with over a long period of time, but we've spent too long arguing about whether we should deal with it, who should deal with it, when should we deal with it. And we've continued to move the um, emission generating parts of the businesses out offshore into other countries in a way of cleaning up the Western states. So you know, in, the, in the United States, that's exported to foreign countries to, like China. Uh, in England, we've exported to China and in, into India for them to actually pollute the atmosphere rather than us. And then we point to them and say, you're not doing enough. We've done our bit. You're not doing it. Yeah. But what we've done is actually just exported ours to them. And that's the social debt that we've received. And that could be on on a business level, but also on a personal level, just as with people when they, they borrow too much money to buy that new Gucci handbag or the new iPhone or the new thing that they can't really afford to pay back, but they get into debt. The financial debt that they get into is the same kind of thing. We We spend money hoping to get a better return. And if we don't, then we get into trouble. With a societal debt, with society, it's big things like the economy, making sure that the um, the large corporations are extracting as much money from the economy as possible and allowing them to not pay taxes, allowing them to not pay back into the community causes a, um, a socialism of corporations. We support the corporations to survive because they're giving us jobs, but we're also then having to support the people who are in those jobs because they're not paid enough to survive in their normal lifestyle. And that, that kind of split where governments aren't receiving money from that, those earnings, but they're having to pay out, means that other companies are then having to support that company. So there's places like Amazon, which has a massive amount of profit. If you look at the share price, they're very, very high price and a very successful company. But they pay very little in the way of taxes because the way the tax um, laws work, they don't have to. They pay as much tax as they need to. But that means that corporations are taking the money from the society. I talk a lot about living legacy. You know, every word we speak, every action we take has an impact on ourselves and others and uh, the environment and so on. And that living legacy is something that when you're talking about social debt, that seems to me to be a perfect example of living legacy. What yeah. do you want the world to look like for your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren? And that the decisions that we are making now, moment by moment, make a difference. Yeah. Now, you're talking about it in terms of business, but it works just as well, doesn't it, in your personal life, whether you recycle, whether you're using lots of water, what car you drive, uh, yeah. how you operate on a moment-by-moment basis. Yeah, and those decisions, every single one of those decisions has a longer-term impact to the way that the world works and everything else. And it's the old thing where we don't own this earth. We, we 
we look after it for our grandchildren. And when we are polluting the atmosphere, even if we're polluting it in another country, and it's, it's not seen, it's not in our backyard, it doesn't matter. But it's still the same earth. We're still polluting the earth. The same air that we breathe is still being polluted with, you know, poison. Yes. And, you know, carcinogenics and all this kind of stuff. And yes, the main impact of that is in another country, and therefore we don't have to worry about it directly. But the impact of that is worldwide. The impact of that is now global warming. The impact of that is now batteries that, you know, take up a, a lot of poisonous materials to make the batteries. Yeah. Is being done now abroad because it's easier because they can actually then implement cheaper ways of making the batteries. There's ways of making lithium, for instance, using um, vacuum, not on the vacuum ceiling, but there's a process we can actually make lithium. But it's very, very expensive. But it's cheaper to send it to Cuba or another com- country where they can just put it in fields to dry the water out of the system and all this kind of stuff. And they have a lot more pollution in that method, but it's cheaper to run. Yeah. I mean, even with something simple as rubbish, you know, we think about, um, or we probably don't think about rubbish uh, very much. But if you look at the fact that they now know that that particles of plastic can be found in every ocean and every beach. Yeah. Um, and those are down to how we behave and how the things that we but use. That's, but that's one of the problems that we do as a corporation, as corporations run, they're very quick to say, well, actually, we, we only put the plastic because that's what the consumers want. Yes. And people do like the plastic because they've been told for at least 30 years that plastic-wrapped bananas are better than fresh bananas off the tree because it's plastic, it's safe, it's been cleaned in the factory, and therefore it's a safe environment. You're not going to find the spiders as much. You're not going to have you know, bruising as much. They're packed better, and therefore it's better for the consumers. But it's not because the, the impact of that is a massive impact. But when we rely on consumers to use less plastic, you go to your local supermarket and try to find fruit without plastic wrapped around it. It's, it's very hard. Hard in some supermarkets. You know, and one of the things that, that really strikes me is the power of the individual. Those of you uh, that are listening to this in America, uh, I'm sure will have heard of David Attenborough, but he started, um, uh, well, he's been working tirelessly all his working life, hasn't he, around the environment. But quite recently, um, you know, two or three years ago, there was a program called the Blue Ocean, I think, or something like that. And people became aware of the pollution um, in the ocean of things like uh, used once plastic straws and, and so on. And certainly in the UK, there was a significant movement to change that. And it was the voices of the ordinary person in the street who said, we don't want plastic straws. We don't want these things. Uh, and groups started to go to the beach um, collectively, you know, getting together to um, to take out uh, plastics, which would otherwise have found their way into the sea. Yeah. But a lot of companies still use plastics until um, the, the consumers stopped using them. Yes. They stopped, you know, they started asking for paper straws. And then when the companies realized there was a good marketing material there, they stopped using plastic straws and started using the pla- paper straws. If you get a thousand people picking straws off, uh, off a beach, they can clear the beach in a day or so. Yes. But next week, there can still be plastic straws unless you stop it at source. Absolutely. And that's one of my problems. We need both sides. We need consumers to stop using these things. But we also need companies to stop pushing these things. 
And it, it's a bit like the drug dealers. If you have a drug issue in your town, you could arrest every single person that uses drugs. And that, that will stop them for a day or two while they're in jail. But if you go and get rid of the drug dealer, the drug deal, the, the supply goes and therefore the demand goes because they can no longer get it. That doesn't necessarily work with drugs and we can go into that at another yeah. time. But, but the idea is... Behind you, it, yeah. Yeah. If you stop plastic production and remove plastic production from the retail business, that would actually reduce the amount of plastics used. Now, you can ask why that has happened, hasn't happened. And the reason is because governments don't want to stop the petroleum um, business from actually having waste material, which is plastic. Plastic is a waste material from petrol production. We're going to have to stop there. Yep. And actually, this is a, a, a conversation that could overtake the whole programme. When we come back, I'd like to look at the principle of uh, workers owning their business and why that's so powerful. So yep. don't go away. We're going to carry on the conversation in just a couple of minutes. Last week, Brandon met a girl on a dating app. One day after work, he finally found the courage to ask her out. No answer. He started to panic. Was he being too pushy? Maybe it was too... Hey, sorry I didn't respond. I was driving. I would love to go on a date. How does tonight sound? Brandon tried to play it cool, but inside he knew. A girl so smart, so responsible. She must be a keeper. Meet Rajat. He started his class as WhatsApp group and became super popular. Yeah, I was always popular, huh? Timetable changes. Celebrating class cancellations. Rehearsal updates. Sharing notes. Farewells. Crying over surprise tests. Everything happens on the group. Rajat may be the admin, but he's never really had to act like one. Except today. Are you really sure that this is true? No, man. It was a forward, so I no, thought... Rajat patiently right? explained that such messages could create tension and turn people against each other. I mean, it's dangerous. Please don't do this again, yeah. Or else I'll have to remove you from the group. Come, let's go get some dosa. And then, Come. it was time for the college fest, yeah? Be like Rajat. Share joy, not rumours. Welcome back. Darren Owen and I are going to talk about how his, the principle of the, his work is to get workers to be able to own the business when business, the original business owners sell. And why is that so important to what you're doing? And what are the benefits? Well, there, there's a couple of different benefits, but my main reason for doing it is because I want the decision making to be rehumanized. Most businesses now are owned by shareholders and shareholders are these mythical creatures that live in the dark. They don't come out and nobody actually has, ever sees them. But every, every large organization has to work for the shareholders and they have, you have to make money for the shareholders. The decisions are always about what the shareholders would want. And unfortunately, a lot of companies make very poor decisions based on what the shareholders would want. Well, the shareholders are people at the end of the day, but they're, devoid from that decision making because if you own shares in a company usually it would be in a group or in a fund but you've got a fund manager a shareholder manager 
group that will actually ensure that the shareholders get what they want. You don't go to the general meeting and say, I would like you to stop polluting the atmosphere. I would, I would like you to stop doing this. You have somebody that represents you as a group and they want to make you as much money as possible. And therefore, the decisions that they make are based around cash. And it's not always the best thing to do. I mean, we, we all want to raise more money. If you've got pension part, if you've got shareholdership, you need to raise more money. And that's what you're investing in. But there's ways of making money while also doing the right decisions. So by taking ownership back to the staff, we're putting the people who are actually doing the work and making those decisions and trying to find the best solutions at the forefront. So they not only see the benefit of the business and as the business grows, they see the benefit themselves and they receive more money, but they also have the humanistic impact of actually, would I want my name to be on this? So if you look at some of the co big corporations in the UK, we had recently water companies that were polluting the, the rivers. Yes. And their reasoning behind that was monetary. They couldn't afford to pay for the funds needed to fix the problem because it was a big problem but they paid their shareholders as much money as it would cost them to fix the problem. They paid their directors a massive bonus because they didn't pay to fix the problem. Instead, they polluted the, the rivers. And if you ask anybody that has shares in that business, they would have all said, no, we don't want them to do that because it's their rivers, their seas, their land that is being polluted. But when you ask the shareholders as a group, well, we want to make more money, what's the cheapest option? So by bringing the wealth um, benefit back to the people, they see a direct impact of their decisions, so monetary impact to their decisions, but they also have that impact of you're making this, this, this decision that's going to be more polluted, and how can we stop that decision-making? How can we make money while also supporting the environment? You know, it's it's a very interesting um, argument that you put forward. And I'm going to be a bit of a devil's advocate for a moment. Yep. Because if you are a shareholder, it's very easy, as you say, to um, to not see the connection between the actions of the business um, and the outcome in the, the medium to long term on other people, on the environment and so on. But, you know, one of the things that strikes me, and you know, my work is all about enlightened leadership, is that for shareholders, and if you're thinking of uh, investing, for example, we had Mary Buffett on the show, and she was talking about investment. And one of the points that she made very strongly to people is get to know the business you're investing in. Yeah. And make sure that you're investing in something that actually sits with your values. So if you're a shareholder or your prospective shareholder listening to this, one of the things that I would really urge you to do is to go and ask questions and actually find out what the business that you have shares in is, is doing. So for me, it's not the shareholder who um, is, the, uh, is the problem, but the values that the shareholder has and whether they actually activate those values in terms yeah. of speaking their truth and being um, the person who provides the checks and balances to that company and says, actually, I don't want to have shares in this company because I don't believe in what it's doing, or I don't want to stay in this company because they're not behaving in the right way. And that's exactly what's happening in a lot of um, investment circles. There's now green funds 
where the fund is designed to invest only in businesses that meet certain criteria around carbon neutrality, um, good for the environment, beneficial for the community and all this kind of stuff. And they are very beneficial funds and they make a lot of money. Yes. So it's not about having to make that decision between actually making money or doing good. No. You can do both, but it takes a little bit more time around it. But there's always going to be these companies that say, right, we've got really good growth you know, prospects. Yes. We, we, we are making lots of money at the moment. Gas and oil production at the moment is making an absolute fortune because the prices have shot up. Yes. So their businesses, the shareholdership has made an absolute fortune from that. Now, should they have made that fortune? There's questions around that and the social debt, the, the, the cost of living and prices and all that. But they haven't done any wrong. But that business is a polluting business. They're producing pollutants. Now, they can only produce that pollutant while we're still using it. Yes. We should be looking at ways of actually changing that business over to using seaweed to create plastics. Um, so many different options. Hemp is a great option to produce fuel and plastics. Yeah. And it can pretty much do everything we need it to do. But we need to start looking at other options rather than actually just relying on um, polluting the atmosphere yeah. to create the wealth and generate business that we need. There are ways of doing it without actually impacting everybody around us. And that takes some, uh, not only individual will, but some political will too. But just before we go into the second break, I just want to introduce this theme so we can carry that on after. One is, you know, when the workers take on the business, they have such a close connection um, with that business succeeding yeah. Um, they have ownership of the why, don't they? Yeah. Um, and I think, do you, well, my question to you is, do you think that um, that there needs to be a caveat in terms of the way um, that the workers become owners? Because one could argue that they want to make as much money and that that connection in terms of the outcome may not be as defined um, as one would hope? Or do you think that something different happens when workers become uh, the owners of their own business? There's a, there is a lot of differences. So usually with a, a larger corporation, because the owners of the business are devoid of actually doing the work, they don't see the actual physical work being done. They don't really care. I mean, you know, what the actual process is of how Amazon ships parcels around the world to anybody within a couple of days or within a couple of hours in some cases as a shareholder you don't really care about that side of things but as a worker you're intrinsically knowing how that business works and you also most business owners want businesses to make more money the staff want to get as much money out of the business as possible but once they see that actually there's ways of making money for themselves because they're getting the end benefit means that they start looking at cost savings. They start looking at actually how that business can be more efficient. And that saves energy. It saves power. It saves time. It makes the business more functional. It makes it more dynamic. But instead of you having one set of eyes from the top looking down saying, actually, we can do better, you've then got thousands of people trying to find ways of making it better. It's interesting, isn't it? There are certain companies that we think of where the workers do own the company, um, I'm thinking of, of organisations like um, John Lewis, for example, which is probably in the UK, 
um, one of the best known where uh, the workers have shares in the business. Um, but I'm also reminded in terms of how many businesses may not, the workers may not own outright, but they own part shares in the business. And when we come back, I'd just like to explore whether you think that hybrid version um, has benefits and why you've gone for a total ownership. It's... Don't go away. We're going to listen and talk about that when we come back after the break. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. When you take your car in for an oil change, a good mechanic will also take care of other routine maintenance to make sure your car runs safely and efficiently. Protecting your health isn't much different. When you get a COVID-19 vaccine, it's important to make sure you're also protected from other serious but preventable diseases. It's easy and convenient to get other routine vaccines at the same time as a COVID-19 vaccine. So make sure you ask a healthcare professional about other vaccines you may need to maintain your health. So welcome back. We're talking about why should it be that owners have, uh, workers have total ownership of a business? What are the benefits? So but in my process, the, the owners don't have total ownership. And there's a reason for that. If you look at the John Lewis, so the UK, we have a John Lewis, which the EOTs, the employee-owned trusts, are actually based upon. They have complete ownership of the business. And one of the problems with that is you do end up with staff that never leave. They never want to leave the business. They're great. They want to stay there forever. And the the population of the business ages over time. Okay, yeah. And that was one of the problems with that is that they become less likely to try new things. They become uh, risk-adverse and they become change-resilient. Uh, not resilient. Um, resistant. Resistant. Whereas what most companies want is they want to bring in new staff and bring in that new blood, that new ideas, new energy. And that's why we actually created it as a group where Mobius Capital is going to own 26% of the business. Okay. And the staff owns 74%. So they get the majority and they get the share ownership and they get the control of the business. But we're the, the devil's advocate in that space. We're the ones saying, actually, there's new ways of doing this. Let's look at solar panels. Let's look at way, new ways of actually building business. Let's look at the internet. Let's look at Web3. Let's look at all these new technologies that are coming out that can save the business money and make better business decisions that aren't necessarily on the 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 actual um, eyeballs of the staff all the time. So if you look at the employee-owned trust as a whole, they're great because they give back the control to the people, but they do end up with being a little bit less commercially orientated and very friendly, but not commercially viable all the time some of them do really well i've seen some really great eot's and the staff are really pushing that business forward and they're doing really well very very successful and others like john lewis start to decline over a period of time now one of the problems with eot's is they last for a very long time so although eot's have only been around in the uk since 2014 they follow things like the cooperative movement and okay. a lot of cooperatives last over 100 years because of that capability for those who don't know, EOTs would stand for? 
Oh, sorry, employee-owned trust. Okay, it just uh, yes. things can be a, a bit of a challenge. Now we've got very few minutes left in the show, and before we finish, I want to talk to you about um, the importance that you place on collaboration and why a hundred businesses. So, just like when you, if you're at home and you have a problem, you go out. A lot of people go to Facebook and they ask Facebook the question and it's the collaborative um, hive mind and everybody comes up with some silly suggestions and some of some of those suggestions actually make a lot of sense and some of them don't but from there you learn new things and you fix the problem by having 100 businesses over different industry sectors we can put problems out to the hive mind we can then look at actually how does other industries solve this problem because majority of businesses have problems but no, in another industry, they may have solved that very simply. But because it's in a different industry, you don't see it all the time. And in my time when I was business consulting and going through businesses, a lot of the solutions I implemented were actually already implemented by somebody else in another type of business. So, Darren, where can people find you? So, I'm everywhere, um, <laughs> mainly LinkedIn. Um, so, I'm on LinkedIn at Darren Owen uh, 1. So, all one word, Darren Owen 1. Uh, on mobius-capital.com um, you can contact me through telephone email oh it's lovely to have you and to all of you listeners thank you very much please do come and join me on the next show i'd love to hear what you think so please email me at gina g-i-n-a at genuinely-u.com or go on to the genuinely-u.com website and find lots of resources love to hear you and please spread the word so see you on the next show thank you very much indeed bye-bye now thanks for listening to gina gardner and friends the show that helps you live a happier more successful and fulfilling life to learn more about gina gardner go to genuinely-u.com if you would like to work with gina or book her as a speaker email her at gina at genuinely-u.com